You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. Great reminder that uh, Christmas isn't just uh, on Christmas Day, but it's a reminder that our Lord Jesus has come to this earth, that God of the universe has created it. And I, I love that short little video to, uh, to remind us. So I hope you had a, a good Christmas and uh, had some time together with family. And now is the time to figure out all the resolutions that you need to make to overcome whatever you did over Christmas. And uh, hopefully you can keep them more than two weeks, right? And that's, uh, that's the goal. Isn't that how that all works? So uh, anyway, and in all seriousness, I do hope you had some uh, great time today. Well, I want to share with you this morning. It's not, it was not still too late to talk about Christmas, right? I was at Stuyvesant Plaza yesterday. All the decorations are up. The Christmas music was running. So like we're still okay through today, right? So, all right, well, I'm going to share with you four Christmas blessings because, you know, from time to time at Christmas, you get that gift that you open it. You're like, oh, thanks. What is it? I don't know what that is. Like, you know, you're not even sure which way is up and which way is down or you get it. You're not sure, you know, exactly what to do with it. And uh, sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we forget what to do with the blessings and the gift that God has given us. So in very simple form, we're going to focus on the four Christmas blessings that that God uh, has shared with us. And so, well, I'm going to back up on Christmas Eve. We talked about Jesus, the actual birth of our Lord Jesus. And you guys know that we've been talking about how uh, Jesus is our king, has come to this earth. But we're going to look at the first baby that was born. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that one of the Christmas myths is that it's about one miracle birth when it's actually about two. It's about John the Baptist who uh, was born to parents who were, we'll just say, well past their prime. They should not have been able to have a baby and God did a miracle in their life. So we're going to look this morning at the birth of John the Baptist and I can't picture a cl- more clearer passage for you and I to wrap our mind and our hearts around the, the blessings that God has brought to us through His Son, Jesus. So the backstory to this is Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're the couple that were too, too old to have had kids, and she didn't have any children at all. And Zechariah, as we read a few weeks ago, was in the temple. It was his, his time to serve and to be there in the Holy of Holies. And, and he was there as he was ministering. The angel Gabriel came, and he was freaked out and scared to death because he thought he was going to die because he thought he had physically seen God. And, and the angel said, hey, like so often, don't be afraid. Fear not. And the Bible says over and over again. And he said, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And he said, how is this possible? He was doubting what God would do, what God could do. Um, and so he kind of, if you will, double dog dared God, right? And uh, that never turns out well when you try to dare God for what God can do. And so uh, the angel Gabriel said, no, it's a done deal. And so that you know it's going to be a done deal, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. So fast forward nine months from now, uh, his son has been born. And naming kids was kind of a community thing, apparently. And so all the family is there, and they're involved, and they're like, okay, so what are we going to name this kid? And they turn to Mary. It was normally the husband's job to name the child, or he would be the, you know, the authority, if you will. And, uh, but he couldn't talk, so they were talking to, to, um, to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said his name's going to be John. And everybody's like, you can't name him John. 
Nobody else in his family is named John. Like his dad, Zechariah. He ought to be a Zechariah. Did you, did you have in-laws or people that did that to you? Like, you should be named such and such. You know, my grandmother actually did that to me. And my, one of my sons is so grateful that I did not name my son uh, Wallace after his grandfather because he was born on his birthday. So we, uh, we withheld that, you know, that dignity, if you will. And, uh, but they wanted to name him Zechariah. And they then turned to John, and John said, here's where we pick up the story. So, so read with me in Luke chapter 1. The Bible says this. So in verse 63, the Bible says, and he asked, oh, in verse 62, and they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered and immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Which obviously, when he finally trusted God and obeyed in that moment, God said, judgment is over, you've learned your lesson. And so he was able to speak freely, and everybody was absolutely amazed that the, with that, as he obeyed God and named his son the name that, that God commanded him. And in verse 65, the Bible says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. God was beginning to make some noise, if you will, God was preparing the way for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to come on this earth. And God was making some noise, bringing attention and stirring up in people's heart and anticipation and expectation, a longing, if you will. And that, that in the middle of that, that he was bringing a solution that God was again beginning to visit his people and was beginning to move and to work in their, in their lives. And after this incident with Zechariah, he, much like Mary, and we talked a couple weeks ago, Mary's Magnificat, where she just kind of praised and honored God. Zechariah has an amazing, just as amazing kind of statement that he says about Mary. So before we share that, I'm going to pray this morning and ask God just to, to bless his word in our hearts. Father, it's good to gather this morning, and I'm grateful for the Lord Jesus. I'm grateful for what you've done in the hearts and lives of so many people here this past year at River. Father, as we recognize this is our last Sunday in 2019, and I guess in many ways a closing out of a decade, Lord, I am grateful that uh, the blessing that you brought through your son Jesus 2,000 years ago still resonates and rings throughout this world. And Father, it rings true in our heart and Lord, I pray that you would refresh our minds and our hearts and help us to, uh, to re renew and to remember the blessing and the, the, the joy of being what it means to be your child. So, Father, would you speak through your word by your Holy Spirit today, I pray. Nothing that I say is of any import, but, Father, what you say is what matters. So we're asking you to speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four quick things I want to share with you this morning about Christmas blessings. They all start with R, so they're easy, and they're all in the passage. I didn't make this up. Sometimes you go to sermons, you're like, okay, dude, you're just really like creating a word there just so you can make everything rhyme. But these are all there. So the first one is, a, is redemption, redeemed. Look what Zechariah says in, in chapter 1. 
And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So these are words not spoken out of his own ability, but God through him. And he prophesied, he spoke forward these, these words. And he says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I want you to notice that word redeemed. I don't know if you're a highlighter or a note taker, but that redeemed, that word redeemed is significant for us. That word means that, that God has bought us back when you go to the store and you redeem a coupon, in essence, the store is buying back from you that little piece of paper, and they're com they've committed to give you 50 cents off your donuts or whatever it is that you're buying that day, or 10 cents off your milk, or if you're redeeming, is it, the stewards still do the milk thing where you get like, buy 20 of them, you get a gallon free, whatever kind of number, you know, they're redeeming that, they buy it back. What this is telling us is that God has bought us back. And what's significant about this is, as Zechariah is speaking, is this hasn't fully happened yet in reality. Jesus hadn't been born yet. Jesus definitely hadn't lived his life yet. Jesus hadn't met every test out there yet. And he hadn't died on the cross for our sins. But in God's mind, God looks at the past, present, and future all at the same time because he's outside of time and he's an infinite holy God. And we're seeing this from God's perspective. And Zechariah has moved beyond doubting God to where he's like, God, I, I trust you. I, I believe you. And you have redeemed your people, Israel. This idea of redemption, of redeeming, is throughout the Bible. It is a, a key, if not... It's definitely one of the biggest keys of understanding what God is trying to do. You ever see uh, people who make blankets, you know, they kind of crochet and knit and weave. And my life group, there were late, the women in there doing stuff. And I don't know the difference between all of these things. And they would tell me, but they would all have different colors going in it. And you just, you follow that, that, that color, that pattern or that thread through the whole, the whole work, right? Redemption is one of those major themes through all the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. You see, if you go back to the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus that, that God led his people Israel, they were in slavery to the, the Egyptians. They were enslaved to them. They were being beaten and killed at an unbelievable rate. And then God finally got to the point where God was ready to lead them out, and he called his man Moses. And you remember the story of the burning bush and all of that, and when he had walked through the, 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 uh, the plagues of Egypt and all of that and finally led Israel out of Egypt, and Pharaoh was succumbed to all of the heavy hand of God upon, Israel, uh, upon uh, the Egypt, and he finally let the people go. In fact, Pharaoh was like, get out of here, you're so much trouble. And then the picture we have in the Bible that Pharaoh goes back to his, his home, his castle, his you know, palace, and it's kind of like, what was I thinking? They were free labor. He just lost his entire workforce. How would you like to face a two-foot snowstorm, you know, and, and realize you don't have anybody to plow the roads? Like your old DOT department, you just sent away, you know. It, it just, 
He thought, what in the world did I do? And so he sends his army out after the Jewish people to bring them back and to capture them. And they were terrified. And God separates the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. You know the story. And when the Jews finally went to the other side, the story comes in, the, the water comes back in and it collapses in on a whole Egyptian army. And God single-handedly wipes out the whole Egyptian army. Well, here is what the Bible says in Exodus 15. The second book of the Bible is where we first see God redeeming, God finally actually redeeming people. Let's look what the Bible says. This is Moses talking. He says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Moses said, God, you bought us. You, you bought us back out of slavery, out of bondage. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, carries that same theme, talking about the Egyptian people. Three books later, the Bible says this, but it is because the Lord loves you, talking about the Jewish people, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and here it is, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, what the Bible is about is a book of redemption. It's the book of a holy God in heaven who cares enough about people to buy them back, to redeem them, to take them from, from abuse and from slavery, from control and domination, to, to buy them out of that and to in turn deliver them into a relationship, into an eternity with him. Look what, listen to what Galatians chapter 3 says. This is fast forward now to the New Testament. And we, if we had time, we could talk about redemption and Proverbs and all of the Bible and through that. But I'm just kind of like skipping a rock across the lake. I'm just hitting a couple of high points so that you see what, what Zechariah is talking about is one of those key points that, that Christmas was from the beginning to the end of the coming of the Messiah was part of God's plan of, of redemption, of redeeming his people and redeeming us, redeeming uh, the world through his son Jesus. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 9 kind of fills the story in a little bit. And the Bible says, uh, here he says, uh, oh, hold on, I lost my place. Oh, it, actually it's in, in verse, verse 14. Verse 13. So it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's what that's saying. It's saying that this whole idea of redemption, that in all of the Old Testament, that God is busy redeeming his people. We just went through the series of judges and, and when the judges, would, the people would disobey God, he would allow them to be captured, to be conquered, and they would go into slavery because they had turned their back on God and walked away and thumbed their nose at God and said, I don't care what you're going to do. We're going to live life our way, and we're going to follow other gods and other idols and all of that. And God said, fine. And he led them into captivity and led them into all of those atrocities. And they would finally hear that, and they would cry before God and ask forgiveness, and God would send their, their deliverer to lead them back, if you will, to redeem them out of that. The story is all about redemption. And we turn in the New Testament in Galatians, and what we discover is, is that Jesus is really the way that God wants to redeem us. Jesus is the one who came to redeem his people, 
And then as I just read a second ago, and it was through Jesus that even you and me today as Gentiles, that people that were not blood birth or born into the, the people of God as a Jew, that God said, I wanted all along the people of the world to be, to be redeemed. This is astounding to me, something that, that we know, and I have, as we read the Old Testament and all of the sacrifices and all of the animals and the, the blood sacrifices that are so full of meaning, that all point to Jesus, that all point to the salvation that, that God would bring through Jesus. Something that I had missed, honestly, my entire ministry, is that all of the the, the judges and all of the, the times when God allowed Israel to be sold into slavery and to be conquered by the enemy, that's a picture too. You see, that's a picture that you and I, when we live our life our way of sin, that we allow something else to control us and to conquer us. You see, when Jesus came to redeem us, he redeemed us to save us from our enemies. That's what Zechariah is talking about. That's what if you go back and you look at, at chapter 1, it talks about God raising up a horn of salvation, a, a strength of salvation. The horn was the, the ram's horn that would be blown. It would be a sign of victory, a sign of strength, a, a sign, a declaration, if you will. And that in verse 71, that we would be saved from our, our enemies. Have you ever seen the before and after pictures of people who um, are, are addicted to drugs? Have you, have you seen the, the life that they are before and the life that they are after? Have you seen some of those pictures? Put the, put the picture on the, on the screen if you would. It should be just a few slides down. This, is a, this picture, I believe, in the past year uh, was shared on Facebook. This is a Facebook post by a mom, okay? So this is not you know, the local news column and all of that. And same guy, both, both sides of the story. Mom says that this, these pictures were taken just seven months apart. Just seven months. Uh, my understanding is he, uh, heroin and meth were his, his two things. Uh, break a mother's heart when you see your son go through that. Uh, unbelievable de deterioration. His challenge that today we would say is a substance abuse disorder. That's the clinical term for it. That's the word for it. But the Bible says that we should not be get drunk with wine, that we should avoid ever being under the control of any substance, alcohol, drug, etc. So while I'd recognize that this young man, and I don't know where he is today, I hope that he's gotten help and recovery and all of that. But what I want us to, to recognize is, is that we're looking at the ravages of sin in a person's life. You see, sin ultimately in our heart is the real enemy. This, this young man's enemies are within himself. He's not being invaded by the, the Russians. It's not his next door neighbor that's trying to do something to him. It's not this or that. His enemy is within. When the Bible says that Jesus came to redeem us from our enemies, it's talking about ultimately the sin and death that lies inside each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the last enemy that Jesus defeats because he comes and he reigns is death. 
So Jesus, as he's come, as he's defeated all of these enemies for us, the, the political enemies of the Old Testament is a picture of that control, that slavery, that bondage that you and I end up in because of our sin. That picture, put the picture back up again, if you will. That's a picture of what sin does to all of us, not just a chemical addiction, any of it. Bitterness. This is a, a glimpse on the outside of the addiction and the darkness that lies on the inside of all of us. Sin always does it to us. This is a little side note, but increasingly, I'm convinced that every sin issue in our heart is eventually going to have a clinical diagnosis and to be simply something that you and I are just victims of, that it's going to be a disease that we have no responsibility for. Uh, in fact, my understanding is, is that there's part of what's driving that equation is, is if you are struggling with whether it's a substance abuse issue or any kind of issue, you can't go get help with a therapist or a psychologist unless they can clinically define you as having some sort of disorder. So they put a name to it, they make a science out of it, and they clinicize it, and it makes, and they share it in such a way that you're completely the victim. You know, it's like having diabetes or cancer or whatever else. Well, the reality is, is these are also sin issues. And again, it's part of living in a culture and a society that only recognizes the secular side of things and ignores the fact that we are moral, spiritual, religious beings at our core. And when we disobey what God says, tells us to do, whether we know those rules or not, there are consequences inside of it. So we're looking at a spiritual condition here, not just a sociological, not just a mental or some sort of disorder, chemical disorder. Yes, there is a physical, physiological addiction going on here, but it's a picture of the sin disorder that's in all of our hearts. What I want you and me to recognize this morning, what I want us to, what you and I to recognize, I want us to realize that when the Bible says Jesus came to redeem us, he came to deliver us from slaveries to this. He came to redeem us from the slavery to all of the sin that dominates and controls in our heart and our soul and mind. It doesn't matter whether it's being addicted to a, a substance abuse situation, being addicted to gossip, being addicted to greed. I read in my quiet time this morning, uh, the story of Gehazi in the Old Testament. Gehazi was a servant of Elisha, who was a prophet of God. And I mean, you just, Elisha was a bad dude. Well, you just, he, he talked with God. And when God wanted to do something with Elijah or Elisha, those prophets of God, like it happened. It didn't rain for days. And it just, and I'm blown away that the greed in Gehazi, a servant's heart, this man came who had leprosy and God used Elisha to heal uh, this man. And this man, who was a wealthy man, wanted to just lavishly, I mean, just basically say, hey, look, here's a million dollars the rest of your life. Thank you for healing me for leprosy. And Elisha said, this is not the time to be, you know, making money off of all of this and all of that. A lot of TV preachers would do well if they paid attention to that, by the way. And so Elisha sends the man off, but Elisha's helper, his assistant, unbeknownst to Elisha, runs after the man and lies to him and says, oh, these two prophets came down and they're kind of poor. And Elisha sent me to ask you, can you give them some money, give them some changes of clothing? These two guys are needy. And uh, the guy's like, oh, I'd be glad to. Here's some more. And he goes back and he hides the money in his house. 
And as soon as he walks into Elisha's presence, Elisha says, Gehazi, didn't my heart go with you when you went there to talk to that man and ask for that money? Is now the time to be asking for money? The leprosy that was on him now will cling to you and your family for generations to come. Greed. That picture is a picture of what was in Gehazi's heart. He was a greedy man before. He said, is now the time to be having servants and donkeys and all of these animals and everything? What was in Gehazi's mind? I'm going to be a wealthy man. I'm going to be set. I'm going to provide and take care of my family. And he wanted to make something all of himself and the greed. See, the biggest blessing that God gives us through Jesus is to you buys us out of slavery, out of our, the junk in our own heart, the, the sin that we all have addiction issues to various kinds of sins in our life. And Jesus comes to buy us back. Go home sometime. I didn't look at these. The pictures of people who've been hooked on drugs in their life before. It's amazing what they look like when they get off them and how just that there is a transformation that comes after it. And that's a picture of what Jesus does in our life when he says, I know that you've got all this junk in your heart. You are that Mr. Grinch. You are that one with spiders in your soul and darkness. But I'm redeeming you. I'm taking that which was broken, that everyone else said was worthless, and I personally am putting my money down on the table in the blood of my son, and I'm buying you out of all of that. It's as if this, that you and I were that broken mirror. You're, you know, you go to garage sales, whatever, and you're, you're pulling out stuff. I got to get rid of this junk. I may as well make 10 bucks out of it or whatever. And all that stuff is set out, and you find this old mirror that's old or broken, or it gets broken as you're moving it, and you, you set it in the garbage can. And everybody comes through in the garage sale, and they buy stuff, but nobody gives that mirror a second chance. Who wants an old broken mirror that's, you know, in several pieces? And it's as if God himself comes walking through there. and says, how much for that mirror? Oh, you can have it. Get off my hands. It'll save me. No. I'll pay, I'll pay you full price of everything in the world for that mirror. And he buys us. You and I are that mirror that is useless, broken, no longer reflecting the image of God who made us. Not well, anyway. And, he, and God says, you're worth everything. And he saves us. And he changes us. And he puts us back together again. And he gives us purposefulness, life, and hope, and future. So when God gives us redemption, he doesn't just physically pay the price of our salvation. He delivers us from our own slavery and our own hearts the junk that's all in there that we are succumbed to and can't control. But then he makes us useful and gives us a purposefulness. He redeems us. So often as Christians, we try to live our life trying to make, find meaning and find purpose in it. So much of the world around us is busy trying to find value in their life, and their people are doing all kinds of things. They're, some are going to the extreme things, like they almost have the adrenaline rush to make you know, life worthwhile. Or, and truthfully, the only thing that gives us meaning and purpose ultimately is redemption. So remember this Christmas season, this holiday season, that when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior and you've surrendered your knee to Him, you're redeemed. Your life has purpose, has value, 
God has put you back together. He's bought you out of all of that junk, and he's freed you out of all of that to save you and deliver your soul. Second thing, and the next ones will go faster than redemption. Redemption is huge. Second thing I want you to recognize, second Christmas blessing is not just redemption, but it's also remembrance. Not only does God love you and has he redeemed us from all of our sins, but he remembers. Look at what verse 72 says. Zechariah shifts gears a little bit in what he's, he's sharing, and he says this. He says, he redeemed us and delivered us from all of our enemies, in verse 72, to show us the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember, that's the next R, his holy covenant. The oath, the oath is that remembrance, that covenant that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Jesus coming 2,000 years ago was God remembering the commitment, the covenantal commitment, the oath that he had made to redeem and to save his people, Israel. God was remembering that covenant. The Bible says in, in Exodus, we won't read it, but the next verse I read earlier is that he is a God who keeps covenant, who always keeps his oaths, always keeps his promises to be our God. So think back. God made a promise and a commitment for Israel. He made it way back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that promise continued on with Moses and all the mess among the, the Jewish people then. He kept that promise all through the days of Joshua. And he kept it through the dark days of Judges. And then things got a little bit better for a season under King Saul, and they got a little, quite a bit darker under King Saul. And then they got a lot better under King David. And God was still keeping his covenant all the while. And they were pretty good through Solomon through most of his life. But toward the end, Solomon turned his back on all of that and followed all kinds of idols. And they would go down in the darkness and they read the rest of the Jewish people. God was keeping his covenant all through there. As Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth, as they all, they realized that there was something new going on. That God hasn't turned his back on us. For 400 years between Malachi in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament, God hadn't sent a prophet. No new words were being communicated, nothing new, nothing special. There were generations who were born and died talking about the history in the past. But there came a time when God sent his angel Gabriel to tell Elizabeth and Zechariah they were going to have a baby boy, a miracle birth. And then God sent that same angel Gabriel to, to Mary and to tell her she was going to have a baby boy. It wouldn't be with her, her husband Joseph but it would be a child from God himself, the Holy Spirit. And all four of those people, Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth, they knew that God was remembering his agreement and his oath to keep what he said he was going to do, that he was going to be merciful to his people. Because you see, it was going to be a, a covenant of, of mercy. It was a, an oath of mercy is what the Bible tells us in verse 72, to show that mercy promised to our fathers. All of us, because of the darkness and the sinfulness and the addictions in our soul to sin, the things that we can't stop doing when we want to, can't keep from going back to the chocolate and the fudge and the, I know I get, that's a low blow on Christmas to be talking about eating too much sweets. I get that. So you can complain about me later. I'm there with you, quite honestly. But like, oh, it's just so good. I want one more. Oh, my goodness, I shouldn't have this. Just one more. 
And when we keep doing that, that's the, that's the addiction of sin in our soul. The, that's a picture of that. And he redeems us because he, has a, he remembers his commitment to be merciful. You and I make a lot of promises, and most of our promises are conditional in life. We don't think they are, but they are. Oh, I'll love you. Oh, I'll love you as long as things kind of go okay. But after that, I'm not going to anymore. Oh, I'll be a good friend, but, but what we don't know is unwritten. As long as you're a good friend back and everything is good. But God's commitments are 100% unconditional. A commitment of mercy to you and to me that he remembered that. And he never forgets his commitment, never fails. You and I need memorials. That's what the memorials are for, to help us never forget, right? Think about them on Memorial Day, literally. We've got a whole day for it. And, and we have remembrances. You probably have some things from your parents, you know, those of you that have lost parents or grandparents to remember them by, little, little reminders. I've got my little computer. I've got... Um, I've got a lot of pictures that I've just taken that just will do the screensaver slide, you know, of kids and family outings. And I, you know, every once in a while, I'll just see them. I'm like, oh, you know, it's a nice memory. I, I like that, a memorial. God doesn't need memorials. He, he never forgets. And he wants us to remember that this Christmas that our redemption has already been paid for, bought by the, his son, Jesus Christ, delivering our souls from sin and death and darkness. And the memorial that he gives us to remember that regularly is the Lord's Supper. I wish we were celebrating today, but we're actually doing it, doing it next week. So remember that next week and this week as we walk through it. Is that God wants us to remember regularly of his commitment and that relationship. What he did for us, that he sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to die for us on the cross. And what it means for you and for me, pragmatically, is that because God remembers that we can trust every single one of God's promises in the Bible. Every single one of them. The biggest problem that you and I have is remembering those. We don't remember them in the times when we really need to remember them. Not just salvation promises, those immediate salvation, but all the, the promises that come out of that. The promises like in Proverbs 3, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. That we should never have fear or doubt or anxiety or worry or wonder, I don't know what to do. God says, look, just trust me. Don't lean on your own common sense. Acknowledge me and put me first in your life and I will guide you in every step of the way. You will not make a mistake in your life. You can live with confidence. That's a promise he says to, he remembers his covenant that you and I should remember and take to the bank. One another Proverbs that says that the, the unrighteous, the wicked flee when no one pursues. They're afraid of their own shadow. But the righteous are bold as a lion. That's a promise to you and to me. When we're following our Lord Jesus, we don't need to live in fear or doubt or worry. In fact, it's the opposite. That's what the world around us does. But we follow the Most High God, and the, the promise that He says is that we can live boldly like a lion. 
Well, I was on a mission trip a number of years ago in Kenya and Africa. We were there for two weeks. And the last day, we took a, a day and we drove around Masai Mara, a big game park and all of that, and, you know, trying to find elephants and lions and all, all of those. And we found a lion. And it was, I mean, it wasn't walking from me to the sound booth, even closer. And there, here we are, all kinds of rubbernecker tourists taking pictures of everything. That lion was not at all afraid of us whatsoever. It was not a little rabbit. It was not a little deer that, you know, was afraid. It knew it was a lion. It was not scared, skittish whatsoever. And it wasn't because, you know, oh, there's just those stupid tourists taking pictures. It's just walking around in its territory. And it's like, I'm a big, bad lion. Nobody's going to mess with me. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are to live our life that way. And it's a promise because, not because of who we are, but because of the God who's behind us. There's a promise in that. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God promises to give you and me life everlasting when we acknowledge and we receive his son and we put our full, complete and faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior that we have eternal life, not just in the future, but we have it now. It's a promise. It's set in stone that we can be assured of and trust. The Bible says in the New Testament to cast all our cares upon him because, talking about God and our Lord Jesus, because he cares for us. Promise that in every way the tender cares of our Lord Jesus are there. You see, this Christmas we should remember that Jesus redeemed us and all of our sin and all of that chain is broken and he bought us back. But he remembers his covenant and all of his promises he keeps. And the Bible is full of those things that should change our daily life as we live. What an incredible Christmas blessing that God has given us. Third thing, not just those, but also God gives us righteousness. Why does God remember his covenant? What did he want us to do? Well, he goes in and he explains it to us uh, in verse chapter 73. Uh, verse 73 says, The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, and here's what this covenant was, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, those internal enemies, those sin and death and the bondage and all the junk around us, God wants to deliver us from it. Why? So that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. There's the next R. Before him all our days. When God sent Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh. You tell him to let my people go. Moses walked in there to Pharaoh several times, and Pharaoh didn't want to listen. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord, you shall let my people go and serve me in the wilderness. God wanted to deliver them, not just so that he could go have a party, but to be delivered so that they could serve him. As we looked at Mary, Mary was a servant of God. God's gift and blessing is that you and I don't got to serve. We get to serve him in righteousness. We get to. He wants us to, to know him, to walk with him, to live our life out before him in holiness and righteousness. Now, the incredible thing is, is that's not our righteousness that we're living out. It's his righteousness that he declares and he puts on our account and it's his righteousness that he infuses, hardwires into our soul progressively over time. And he says, I want you to serve me. 
I've sent my son Jesus just so you can walk with me and know me and live your life out before me. And it's a life lived out in righteousness. So often as Christians, we think, well, I got to do this. I got to do it. The Bible says I got to do it. I got to like it too. You know, and, and, and we struggle with those things. But what we're really talking about here is we get to do it. We get to overcome the addictions and junk in our heart that we're all struggle with. And we get to live in that life, that after picture. That's what this is talking about. The before picture we saw, or the, the picture when we're, our life is in a tailspin and a spiral, that picture on the outside of what we really are on the inside. And he says, and now that I've redeemed you, I want the after picture to show. I want you to, to live and experience life with my righteousness on your soul. What that means for you and for me is, is we shouldn't be going about trying to establish our own righteousness. There's a hypocrisy and a pride that's alive and well in many, many evangelical Bible-preaching churches today where among people that have been Christians a long time that kind of know how to manage their outside image and they kind of relegate the commands of God to be, well, as long as you're not, you know, getting drunk on the weekends and as long as you're not raping anybody and as long as you kind of read your Bible a little bit and go to church and, you know, you tithe and you're a good, upstanding Christian. Well, God's talking about way more than that. He's talking about a heart that's yielded to Him, fully surrendered, experiencing His life change in us. Not putting us under a new law, but instead living out our relationship in full righteousness and holiness that's His. And so this Christmas blessing is that God has declared you righteous, but He expects you to live in that life change. And when we walk through judges, those judges, the people, as they kept going back to those idols and falling into sin, that's a picture of you and I going back to our former Addictions, our former things, when we can we take those steps back into those into that world. It's just like you and I falling back down to those idols again and giving authority to them and letting them control in our lives. And God says, uh-uh, not for you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna teach you discipline. I'm gonna teach you to, to progressively leave and walk in a new life. So we should never be satisfied to just live in that world. There should always be a, a striving and a gaining to, to know and live and walk in a, a relationship that's close with our Lord and our God that lives before Him in holiness and, and righteousness. And then the, the, the fourth and final blessing that I want to share with you is, the, is in tension with that, that God wants us to live in righteousness, but all the while knowing that we are fully forgiven or that our sins are in, re, are in remission. Look at verse 76. And you, child, this is Zechariah talking about his son, John the Baptist, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's not the Savior, he's not the Messiah, he's not the Son of God, but he's just a prophet of the Most High God. You will go before the Lord, you will go before the Lord Jesus to prepare his ways, he's talking about, to plow ground and to help people to be ready for the way of the Messiah to give knowledge of salvation to his people, that people wouldn't just know salvation in their head, but they would experience in their heart and their soul, that deliverance 
Not just talking to somebody who's an addict saying, hey, you can get out from under all this. Wouldn't life be great if you didn't have it? And who's still stuck and saying, oh, that would be wonderful, but I don't know how to. The knowledge of salvation that God gives us is he takes us out of that. And we experience and like, oh my goodness, he's just delivered my soul from all of the junk and the bitterness and the envy and the jealousy and the greed and the garbage, the selfishness in my soul. And we experience that joy in that. And, he, and it's within the realm of the forgiveness of our sins, what verse 77 says. That word forgiveness is a loaded theological spiritual word. It, it literally means remission. It means that God remits our sin. If you go home and Google that or do it on your phone, you will see that it means remittance or remission has kind of a twofold meaning. We usually think of like, I've got cancer and it's remission, or my leukemia is remission. But remission also, the basic meaning of it means to cancel a debt, to pardon. It's like the governor or the president, you know, when they're going out of office, they will often, you know, have a prisoner or two or three or four. And I don't know how they make their decisions if they're, People they feel like are at the very end of their life sentence or got a raw shaft or maybe some political favor they're giving back on, I have no clue. But when those pardons happen, nobody says, oh, those guys are innocent already. They know they're guilty. What the president and the governor is saying is that their debt is now canceled. It's done. It's fulfilled, if you will. You see, our sins caused our debt before God, and God, through His Son Jesus, canceled that debt canceled the punishment that our sins earned us before God. So not only does He redeem us and change us and buy us back, and He remembers His promises and gives us all these blessings, and He puts His righteousness upon us, but in the process of this, He cancels all of the debt of all of the wrongs that you and I have done, and He gets us out of all the penalty of that. He frees us from the, the debt what we have rightly earned from all of that sin and all of our life, and it's done and it's over with. Those are the two tensions that you and I should live our life with. Every morning we get up in, in the morning, when we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, God, thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done. Forgive me of everything that I will ever do. Now some, there's a ditch on either side of the road here. If you only live on that side of the road, you might go, woohoo! look at all the cool stuff I get to do now. It's great being a Christian and go party up or whatever. But there's a ditch on the other side of the road. God says, I want you to live in righteousness. I paid the price of my son for you to live differently. I don't want you living like that life. I don't want you looking like that picture. I've forgiven you, but I also want you to live here. Now, if you live over here, well, I got to go. I got to live righteous and all that. You can almost... Forget that God's already forgiven you too. So you got both of those truths or two poles that you have to kind of keep in front of you and you live with both of those realities in your soul to guide you in your life. So this New Year as we begin, if there's any way that you and I could keep these truths like pillars of a house that we base our life on. As Jesus is coming, as John the Baptist and Jesus are making that way John the Baptist kind of the point of the spear, Jesus coming behind him, and then Jesus kind of drafts off him, and then he passes. If for the NASCAR fans of the world, I don't watch NASCAR, but if there are any, you know, 
John the Baptist is leading the way, Jesus is right on him, and then there's a passing of that, and Jesus continues on, and he dies for the sins of the world. But these are the four pillars that, that Zechariah had deep in his heart. There are four things that, that God wants us this morning to resonate in our soul, not to be something that we forget, or a toy that we get, or we lay aside, or, oh, this is great and nice, you put on a mantle and you forget about it for the next 30 years and you live your life. He wants these things to be every day in our life and our soul, to be remembered, to be lived out with a confidence and a joy and a faith to shape us every single step of the way. So I have no clue which of these this morning is really hitting home to you, if any of them. I pray something is. But what God wants us to do is respond to that. So maybe you've been forgetting that you were redeemed. And maybe you were feeling like, I just can't get any victory over this sin. I can't change. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe you've been in despair. If you really know the Lord Jesus, He's given you victory. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You can live in righteousness. And He wants to help you to grow there and have that hope and take those steps. Maybe you've lived nonchalantly in your life, and maybe you've been too much on the, oh, I'm forgiven, and I can come over here and play. And God's like, yeah, nobody, I got something better for you. Because when you're playing over here, you're going down that road, and I sent my son Jesus to die for you, dude. Like, you ought to be living better than that. Maybe along the way, you've been trying to establish your own righteousness, not trusting in God's. So maybe you've struggled to really believe the promises of God. The Bible is so rich of them. Maybe you felt like, and it's almost a false, it almost sounds right, but it's really not. Like, oh, God could never do that for me. I don't know if God could really love me. Can God really? Who am I? That's a false humility. Man, every one of those promises is in the Bible for his kids. So trust him. So whatever it is that God spoke in your heart this morning, I want you to say thank you to God. I want you to ask God for forgiveness. I want you to, to respond. If maybe God's wanting you to step out in faith, but, but as our music team comes up, this is just your, your time. I'm going to pray and just give you a couple minutes to, to think. And as we sing, if you want to sing, great. If you want to think, that's cool too. But this is your time to respond to the blessing that God wants to be yours for Christmas. So pray with me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for these four Christmas blessings. Father, thank you that you did not forget your covenant. It was never once in doubt. But Lord, you powerfully moved forward in our salvation, delivering us from our own selves, our own sins, our own heart. And in the process, you deliver us from the enemies around us too, but you really have overcome our sin and death. Father, thank you for loving us. And I pray whatever needs to happen in our souls this morning, that it would just be very clear from you. Lord, may we meet with you as a church these next few minutes, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.